Welcome, I'm Rosemary Mappy, and this is my friend and colleague, Tom Lyman. We're coming to you from the Archdiocese of Boston. Welcome to our podcast, Always on Mission, Evangelizing in Challenging Times. We wanna bring you some encouragement and some joy, particularly during this pandemic. So let's dive in. Hi, Tom. Happy Easter. And to you, Rosemary. He is risen. Indeed. Alleluia. So, Tom, as part of our roles as evangelization consultants for the Archdiocese, along with your additional responsibilities as coordinator of divine worship, evangelization is really at the forefront of our daily lives and ministry. But of course, you and I both know that it starts with our own lived discipleship. So I thought it'd be fun to start by just chatting about how individually we've lived out this beautiful time of year in our Catholic faith. We just came out of Holy Week and Easter. So what are some beautiful ways that you like to celebrate as a family? Well, for me, uh, one of uh, my favorite parts of Holy Week is something we weren't able to do this year, but on Holy Thursday, uh, after the, at the end of the Holy Thursday liturgy, uh, to go in procession following the following Jesus in the Eucharist held by the priests and the monstrance and enchanting the Pange lingua, just hearing the sounds of those chants, you know, making your way out of the church into kind of a darkened neighborhood and the, the sacred chant kind of piercing the night. Uh, at my parish, the, the confirmation kids will hold candles along the route that you walk around to the back of the church where the church hall is. And then you come into this darkened church hall where there's just this nicely lit uh, canopy where there's an altar of repose and just, you know, 20 or 30 people remain there for uh, an hour or two uh, in silent prayer in this simple place. And uh, just the simplicity, the, the waiting with the Lord in the garden is a very beautiful thing for me. That's awesome. You know, when I was a little girl, my dad told me that Holy Thursday was his favorite day of the year. And I remember being struck by that. And it was because, of course, he loved the Eucharist and loved that we celebrate that that's when the Eucharist was instituted and given to us by Jesus Christ. And so growing up, or even in more recent years, I love visiting the seven churches, that fun tradition. Of course, we couldn't do that this year, but I'm really praying that this time where many of us can't receive the Eucharist, that we can really grow in love with him in the Eucharist so that when we're able to go back, we have that much more reverence, that much more respect for him. And particularly, of course, in our archdiocese, we have a year of the Eucharist coming up. So wouldn't that be amazing if we, when we were able to come back to church, that we're able to celebrate that with ever more reverence? Absolutely. I really think that this is a case of absence making the heart grow fonder. And for those of us who love Jesus in the Eucharist and have for a long time, um, I think that this is exactly one of those cases, particularly if you can come to become too comfortable with being able to receive the Eucharist daily, or uh, maybe even someone who loves the Lord losing some of the fervents because it's become so easy to access. So now we kind of know what we're missing, you know, in a way that um, we may not have thought about before. Right. So anything else you'd like to share as we continue through the Triduum and into Easter day, that's really a meaningful way for you to enter into that time. Well, another beautiful thing for me, uh, I mean, wh where, where, do you, where do you start? I mean, uh, I can't think of a single thing in, in the Triduum that I say, oh, that again, it, I, I love everything in Triduum liturgies and, and uh, traditions of that time of year. I, 
whether it's the, the different uh, proclaiming all of the uh, sacred scripture from the Old Testament through um, salvation history. I just love that walk through salvation history. I love the, um, the interspersing of those Psalms between each reading. Um, and of course, the exalted and the Easter candle, uh, all those different uh, elements that uh, are just so uh, alive with symbolism uh, of something real. They're, they're reminders of something that is real. Um, and the, the realities that they draw the mind to are, are so beautiful. I would say on Easter Sunday itself, something that I particularly love that makes that Mass special is the Easter sequence, um, which is not the first thing that most people would think of. I mean, the blessing with the holy water, the asperges, is uh, always an exciting part of Easter Sunday Mass where you get drenched, you know. But uh, I do love the chanting of that sequence, um, and it really adds something special. It's just one of four, I think, during the entire year. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Now, of course, since it's such a joyous occasion, celebrating the, the, the victory that our Lord has gained for us, the hope of the resurrection, celebration is needed. So what are fun ways that you like to celebrate, perhaps with food or festivity at this time? Well, a few years ago, of course, this year, we won't be able to do it quite this way, maybe with our own family. Um, we, uh, we had a little Easter egg hunt with some of the neighborhood kids and my niece and nephew and and our kids. And so uh, uh, that is a lot of fun to be able to go into the yard. And we made it kind of a scriptural Easter egg hunt. So every time you found an egg, you had to bring it back and answer a question about Easter. And then you got a prize, you got candy. I give my wife full credit for that. That was entirely her idea. That's fun. Growing up, I really always had a festive meal with my family. My mom's a phenomenal cook. This year, as part of my pandemic, supp getting supplies, getting uh, Cadbury eggs was a critical component for my supplies because I just love them so much. So that that was fun. But you got to prepare to celebrate. So that's Tom, thanks be to God, there's still plenty of hams and hams and lambs in the uh, markets. You know, that's so. true. Yeah. So Tom, there's a reason that we're doing this podcast during the Easter season because we are an Easter people. Alleluia is our song, and that mindset can and should carry us beyond the Easter season and in good times in our life and in challenging times. So it can fuel us to be ready to be always on mission and to evangelize, which is the focus of our podcast. Can you explain, perhaps for some who might not be familiar with mission and evangelization, what do we mean by that? Sure. So we have to call ourselves back to what is the mission of the church and to find that it's easiest to look to Matthew 28, which is when Jesus um, risen from the tomb uh, just before his ascension into heaven, um, tells the apostles, the 11 gathered uh, on top of the mountain. Um, he tells them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I have taught you. And behold, I will be with you until the end of the age. That is the Great Commission. And so the simple mission then for the church is to make disciples and to baptize and to teach uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus that all may be brought into his church, into the communion of the saints, um, this universal communion between heaven and earth. Um, so that that's our mission. Yeah, excellent. And it can seem daunting. But we know that folks before us have had success. So we can lean on the lives of the saints who have gone before us to know that 
Holiness is possible. Living out the mission is possible. Why do you think it's important to tap into that, to get to know the saints as companions, as friends, as models? Well, really for just some of the reasons you cite. I mean, the saints are uh, humans like ourselves. There's, they're not superhuman. They have supernatural gifts, as all of us do, all of us who are among the baptized. Uh, but I would say that they are among those um, ordinary humans with gifts from God who really unpacked the gifts that God had given them, who really unwrapped them and, and didn't just keep them to themselves, but truly shared them with the world around. And so they lived lives of heroic virtue, but also lives of heroic discipleship and really apostleship, um, not necessarily remaining um, totally alone, but rather sharing their faith, even if it was with a limited few. If you think uh, someone like um, Blessed Charles de Foucault, who really only kind of impacted a very small circle of people, kind of in the Algerian mountains where he was. But then there were others who influenced thousands by their preaching or by their ministry or their travels. So uh, there are those who had gifts from God and shared them with the world for the salvation of souls. That's awesome. So during this podcast, we're going to take one saint each episode and explore their lives and how we can learn from them and really look to them as a model of how to live out that holiness and always be on mission. So I'd love for you to introduce to us who is our saint for today. But before we do that, maybe yes. let's dive into a little prayer that maybe when we hear about the saint you described for us today, we can think about how they might help us in our own growth and holiness. Absolutely. Please join me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, you have given us the example of many saints, all of whom first modeled their, themselves on your Son, the ultimate model, the one who has given us everything we need to arrive to the fullness of heaven with him. We ask you now, Father, for the grace that you can give us through reflecting on the lives of your holy ones, those who have said yes to you, grant us the grace to say yes and the inspiration to follow where your son has led. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today's saint is Saint Rosa Venerini. Uh, also known as Saint Rose Venerini. Her Italian name is Rosa, so we'll use that. Saint Rose was Saint Rosa was um, a daughter, uh, one of four kids in her family, um, and someone who, from a young age, uh, experienced a call from God. She knew even from the age of seven that she wanted to give her life to God, um, but really wasn't sure how. And over the course of many years following that, her teenage years especially, she kind of had tribulations about you know between the attractions of the world and the attractions of God and the holy things of God. She really kind of wanted both and couldn't quite reconcile them both. So after a lot of prayer, spiritual direction, conversations with trusted spiritual advisors, including her parents, who um, were the ones who taught her the faith so well at home in the family, um, she, at the encouragement of her father, finally decided to enter the convent at age 20. So it was a, a Dominican convent that she entered. And so she was there, she thought this was the fulfillment of, of all of her hopes from her youngest years. But sadly, while she was in the convent, her father died. 
and she realized she needed to go home to care for her mother uh, and, and be with the rest of her family. So she abandoned the convent for a period of time. But then, um, to make matters worse, her, her brother died at the age of 27, and her mother died not long after of a broken heart. So we're seeing someone who, you know, had all sorts of hopes and even plans she thought were divinely inspired. She was seeking the will of God, and she thought she was living it. But these events in her life kept interrupting. They kept coming in the way of, of what she had really hoped for. And, you know, this can be something that we all take into account now in this time of the pandemic. We all have had plans and hopes and ways that we normally do things or we're expecting to do things that we haven't been able to do. We've had to change everything. And Rosa herself had to do that. Rosa was a woman of faith. Uh, even as a young woman, she felt this, what I would call an irresistible call to evangelize. And this is a feature of the life of the disciple, just that when you love the Lord, you cannot help but desire to share that somehow. And you know that this is the lesson for all of us and for all of our listeners that there really is no limit to how um, you and I can share the gifts that God has given us and share the love that he has given us. You know, um, and Rosa was no different. So she just decided very simply, I'm going to call together some neighborhood women and girls just to pray the rosary in my home. And that's what she did. She just invited people from the neighborhood in. She was someone who was fairly wealthy. Uh, however, she invited everybody in, she, of all different classes, and they just prayed the rosary together. But it was during these gatherings she began to realize in conversation that these these women and girls really didn't have much formation in the faith. They really did not have a good education. They, they um, were lacking a lot of the things that would enable them both to succeed in worldly life, but more importantly, would get in the way of their own salvation, you know, because of the lack of their formation. So she felt a call to do something about this. And so St. Rose is talking with her spiritual director, a Jesuit. She had very much an Ignatian spirituality. Um, and she's saying, you know, should I should I go uh, go back to the convents, you know, to some other community or something like this? Should I live this out that way? And he began to help her see in her own life that this call to uh, desire to assist these these women and girls was more than just a passing thing. This was more than a minor thing to note in her life. He helped her identify that perhaps this was the thing God was calling her to do with her life. You know, and that it would it should be something more than just cursory conversations or kind of random, you know, weekly conversations, but perhaps through a formal school setting, really to establish a whole school that would address the needs of these people. And so with a few friends, she set about to establish a free school for girls that would both educate them and you know, attempts to liberate them from, from the ignorance and error that prevented them from coming to know God, but then also to assist in saving their souls, to assist in forming their faith, to teach them to pray, to know the Lord. Uh, and that is what she did. And uh, after a little while, uh, she began to be entrusted with the schools of her diocese to establish these schools all over the diocese where she lived. And then finally, um, her work began to attract attention from other dioceses and even to Rome. She established a school in Rome. And it was there that Pope Clement XI and, uh, 
eight cardinals wanted to come visit her school and, and, and actually sit in on the lessons. Uh, and he said this to her. I thought this was really important. He said, Signora Rosa, you are doing that which we cannot do. We thank you very much because with these schools, you will sanctify Rome. And I think a little line, one part of what he said is super important for all of us today. You are doing that which we cannot do. She was a person who really uh, moved, as her biographer said, was moved in the ocean of the will of God. Think of that. Think of the, the ocean. Have you ever stu stood in the ocean as the tide is kind of moving you back and forth, the big waves kind of moving you? Um, and she was flowing. She was kind of going in sync with the movement of that tide, you know, um, which clearly took different paths in her life, you know, from religious life, to serving her family, to working with these women and girls, and then finally to establishing schools. She said this, I feel so nailed to the will of God that nothing else matters, neither death nor life. I want what he wants. I want to serve him as much as pleases him and no more. So this is someone who really came to see and know that the will of God for her life was very good and was indeed something that she desired and wanted never to be separated from, you know? And, and that's what we're all called to, isn't it, Rosemary? Yeah, what an awesome story. It really gives me a great sense of a model for perseverance in our own call to holiness. It reminds me that each one of us has a unique role. So the listeners out there, you have a unique role in the evangelizing mission of the church, much like St. Rosa did. Again, just ab about persevering in her call to holiness and being so docile and adapting to what the will of God might be like for her life. What a beautiful Absolutely. message of discernment too, and that it's continuous. That's right. And I, the thing I like to always go back to, okay, so St. Rose, St. Rose established all these schools. And eventually after her death, the women that taught in her schools organized themselves as a religious congregation, the religious sisters Venerini, who actually have some establishments here in central Massachusetts in the Worcester diocese. Um, even still today is Venerini Academy in Worcester. Um, but here's something to remember is that all of this began by her gathering with a few neighbors to pray the rosary. See, this isn't rocket science. You don't need a theology degree to, to discern the will of God and to do it, to, to live it. And uh, this is where simply cooperating with God in these simple ways um, can invite our response to his grace. It makes it accessible. Yeah. Each one of us can easily, if we truly want to follow the will of God for our lives, it's possible. We, he'll equip us with what we need. And it starts by merely loving him, desiring to follow his will for us, and wanting to love others like Sister Rosa did. You know, uh, there's an old saying that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. I love that so saying. He equips you as you go, but he wants you to say yes, even when you're not sure um, where it's going to lead you. You know what? It's sometimes it's you don't even have to think about where it's going to lead you. God knows that. What we need to know is to be faithful and to and to give our yes in our own lives as Mary did. Excellent. Now, I think you have a beautiful prayer to share with us from St. Rosa. It's really from the, the comment of holy men and women for educators in the Roman Missal. So here is the prayer. Oh God, who raised up blessed Rose in your church to show others the way of salvation, 
grant us by her example so to follow Christ the Master that we may come with our neighbor into your presence through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. That was beautiful. Thanks so much, Tom. And the cool thing is that up next in our next segment, we're going to talk to two people who really have responded with a generous yes to that irresistible call to evangelize. We have two special guests joining us today to continue the conversation about responding to that irresistible call to evangelize, even in challenging times. Our two guests are from the Apple Valley Catholic Collaborative, which consists of two Catholic parishes in the Archdiocese of Boston, St. Elizabeth of Hungary and Acton, and St. Isidore in Stowe. We have Joan Madela, who's the coordinator of Young Family Ministries, working for both parishes. And then we also have Tom Spatero joining us. He's a parishioner of St. Isidore and a parent of Children in the Faith Formation Program. And he's a volunteer with the Children's Liturgy of the Word Ministry. Welcome to you both. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Joan, I want to pivot back to maybe you could share a little bit about your pastoral team and the focus on mission and evangelization that really sparks the desire to invite each person like Tom to step up and to be evangelizing in a different way. Our staff is really 100% focused um, on in, in anything that we do from a, from a planning, envisioning, you know, prioritizing resources perspective on does what we are about to do or consider doing, does it relate to the overall, you know, mission of Christ, go and make disciples? That really, I mean, as daunting a task as it is, it does keep us focused. It keeps us focused as a leader, our, you know, our leadership team um, and our entire staff uh, have to hold ourselves accountable to that as we're going through our planning stage, you know, for next year. At the question that we have to ask ourselves constantly is, does this relate to our, our core mission? Our vision really helps us to do that. So it kind of starts with the vision. Our vision is, you know, we strive to be a joyful and faith-filled community that is rooted in Jesus Christ, engaged in the world, on fire about our Catholic faith, and living as intentional disciples. So that those words, those you know, four kind of statements help us to then, you know, give more meat to all right. What what is our purpose? You know, what are what are we doing this for? What are we doing, you know, church ministry for anyway? Great, thanks for sharing that. So tell us how that might look different during this pandemic. How has ministry both stayed focused on mission and evangelizing, yet certainly had to shift a little bit to meet the needs of a community in this challenging time. On the one hand, it, you know, as I, as I reflected uh, on, I think it's been three weeks um, shifting from, you know, working in the office to working at home, as many of us, you know, have, have had to do. I think it would have been easy in a way, just to kind of go underground a little bit and just kind of pull back and, and just um, spend 
you know, more time in personal prayer and, and just really trying to support, you know, my own children. And I have two, two children that are nurses on the front line as we speak, working in ICU COVID uh, hospitals in Boston. So it would have been very easy as a parent um, and also as a, as a professional to say, you know, I'm going to take this time to just kind of pray and, and take care of things at home. But um, that was fleeting. And I, and I think that as, as, as with all of us, you, you turn to prayer first and you turn to Jesus, just as my patron Saint Joan of Arc did, you dig down deep and you empty yourself and you then fill yourself with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the tools uh, and the courage to face the war, you know, that we are in. This is a, a, a war against a virus. And so I felt this, this complete, um, I guess, the evolution would be at first it was, you know, fear, uncertainty, and then it became prayer, pause, and emptiness, and then it was a slow return to comfort, to courage, to joy, that help me to take baby steps. Okay, how do I show these young children, these young families that that church, you know, church is here. Um, our church doors are closed, but you know, we're here. So I, I made this little poster and I wrote the words, I'm here. And I really prayed on that. I prayed on those words and the words took on multiple meanings and not at first the meanings were, I know that Jesus is here in the midst of this very frightening time that we're facing. I feel Jesus here close to me in my heart. And I feel Jesus here in our families. I feel Jesus. I know Jesus is, is in the whole church out in the whole world. And all of a sudden, I saw those words, I'm here, and I'm here too, and I need to step it up. And so I created a little Google Classroom for the First Communion families, and it took me two hours to put together a five-minute video, <laughs> um, because it's been a while, you know, since I've had the courage to, to use technology um, to stare at a camera and see all those beautiful children's faces. Um, but I, I, I did, I, I recorded a lesson. I posted on Google Classroom. I asked for their comments. And slowly but surely things started to build. Kids started to respond. And the next thing I knew, I, I was hearing, I was in touch with Tom. And I, I heard that, that he had run a, a Facebook Live. I didn't even know what that was. Children's Liturgy of the Word session with just a couple of families. I said, oh, isn't that nice, Tom? Well, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about that? So I'll turn it over to Tom. That was so beautiful, Joan. I love how you were really rooted in prayer 
and attentive to your immediate family or domestic church. And then out of that prayer and time of reflection, you were able to creatively adapt your ministry. What's been your experience, Tom, living out your faith as an individual disciple within your family? And then what motivated you to step up in this way to continue to serve your parishes? Uh, well, as I said, I think uh, getting involved in the Children's Liturgy of the Word has been has been really wonderful for me, and and I think most of the time my kids appreciate it too. They, uh, I wouldn't say they behave better for me or or any worse, but uh, they usually like to ask if I'm teaching on a specific Sunday, and and uh, they like to pay attention. Uh, my my little son Will likes me to hold him while I'm reading, so I have a little bit of help um, while I'm teaching. Uh, but yeah, since uh, to your point about uh, in the time of COVID-19, once I heard that um, that churches were closed in Rome, I knew that things were going to be making their way across the ocean and, and things were going to start shutting down over here. Um, so and, and all of that happened, you know, like Joan said, this has just been three weeks. All of this has just been three weeks, which is amazing. The pace that, that all of these things have been going on and, and how quickly things have developed. But uh, I think it was... Thursday night, you know, again, like three weeks ago, um, we knew that that church was going to get canceled, um, and the schools were also starting to get shut down. Um, so uh, I had been paying attention to the news, so I had a kind of a, an idea that this was going to be we were going to be shut down for a while. I thought about selfishly. I thought about what what do my kids need? Um, what kind of structure and um, consistency can I provide for them? so that they don't get anxious and start to get nervous about things. Um, so uh, I think it was it was like Saturday night, I texted a couple of my friends, uh, a couple other dads in our parish and said, hey, um, if I invite you guys to a closed Facebook group, I was thinking of doing a children's liturgy uh, uh, tomorrow morning, would you guys be interested in, in popping in? And, uh, and they said, yes. So I just created a, a closed group because I wanted to test it out away from public eyes uh, to see how that goes um, and invited maybe three or four families that we typically would see at the Children's Liturgy and some, some uh, are classmates of my daughter's, um, but you know, some Paris families. And uh, I've had previous experience uh, using Facebook Live for business and, and for social reasons. Um, and I thought it would be a really good opportunity to connect. One of the things that I said to Joan was um, the, the global church has made a number of resources available to, to all of us, which I think is really wonderful. Uh, and it gives everybody uh, a number of choices to, to uh, like a wonderful menu of things to choose from that you want delivered to your family in the comfort of your own home. Um, I thought that for my kids to be engaged in a certain way, and, I, and then I kind of extrapolated that to maybe other kids in the parish, uh, I know that my own kids would have a hard time tuning into watching somebody that they didn't know. So I thought, you know, maybe if, because some of the families in the parish are familiar listening to me and, and uh, um, participating in children's liturgy with me, that it might be a little bit more engaging, knowing that it was happening live, knowing that they could tell their parents what to say and their parents would comment and they could give likes and hearts and all those things. Uh, it's a lot more interactive, which I thought would be beneficial for the for people who are watching. And also again, for my kids, because I know my kids well enough to know that if I say, 
hey, uh, you know, Jonah's going to be there and the Saddlers are going to be there and, uh, and Maggie's going to be there and they're watching. So I need you to, number one, I need you to pay attention and behave because they're watching you. And number two, we're going to do this together. So it's going to be a thing. Um, that was really helpful. I knew that that would be helpful for my family. Um, so we tried it out. It was, it's just me talking at a camera, um, but people have the opportunity to talk back, which is cool. We don't get to see their faces. So I think it's a little bit harder for my kids, but um, I'm basically approaching it very similarly to the children's liturgy sessions that we have uh, at St. Isidore, um, just doing it from the comfort of, of our own home and uh, trying to engage as many families as possible uh, and to, to continue, again, to provide some consistency and to continue to um, keep them on message. It sounds like a wonderful example of using the new method and new ardor of evangelization that John Paul II really encouraged us to do. You're, you're really living the new evangelization talk, so thank you for doing that. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. One of the things that I, uh, whenever I start my lessons at the church, but also now in, in the comfort of our own home, uh, we light the candle together and we ask the children, why do we light the candle? And we say, because we're still in God's presence, because usually it's out outside of the, you know, the sanctuary. Um, and one of the things that I always say to the kids is the church is the building, but we also need to remember that the church is the people. And we have to, with this Facebook Live sessions, I remind everybody that we're putting that to the test. We don't have to be in the building to be the church and remind everybody that in St. Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, wherever two or more of you are gathered in my name, God is with you. Um, and I think it, it's, uh, it, it, like I said, it, it kind of, uh, um, it's where the rubber meets the road. We're, we are the church. And uh, it, I, it also kind of reminds me of the early days of the church before there were churches, when people were gathering wherever they could to tell stories about Jesus. And that's what I say to the kids. When shortly after Jesus died, people would get together and just tell stories and remind themselves about, about things that he did and things that he said. And that's what we're doing today. So. So Joan, Tom, and both Toms, I love your take on we're using these creative ways to stay engaged, to share the good news, to engage families. How do you think when we're able to go back and be in our churches and participate in mass, how might we also continue to carry on some of these creative ways using technology when we're able to go back to our churches? I think, uh, you know, we've basically created an, an online prayer group. You know, I think if anybody wanted to participate in that separate from church, they would certainly have the, the freedom to do something like that. Um, and this is less about the technology and more about the uh, the kind of, I don't know, collective evangelization of the community. I was talking with Joan about this the other day is hopefully, um, by necessity, hopefully we're empowering each of these families to kind of take a little bit of ownership of the message, right? And, and actually have a discussion in their own living room and uh, where some some of us might never take the opportunity to say the rosary or, you know, just hope that that the priest on the altar is going to tell us what to think and how to pray. We're forced to kind of discover that on our own, which I think uh, will hopefully uh, bring some light to some families and give them a chance to discover the word of God and, and, and the glory of God in their own way. So that's, that's kind of what I hope is that people say, well, Tom's doing this. Uh, you know, Dad, why can't you do it? Or, you know, maybe we'll get more people to come to the church and lead the children's liturgy, but also um, be able to to foster more 
deep conversations in the comfort of our own homes about our faith. You know, Sunday Sundays in church ministry uh, prior to this um, pandemic were our you know full throttle days. Everyone hand everyone hands on deck. You know, basically it's just it's just jumping from in racing from one um, you know information and or leadership ministry to the next when you're physically on campus or going in, you know, even more challenging, going back and forth between the two churches, just to give you a real um, timeline of my ministry day yesterday. So I woke up and the first thing I did was I tuned into Children's Liturgy of the Word. Then I went immediately from that to a previously scheduled baptism prep session with two families. One family had just moved in to Wayland, but they have very, very strong roots in Stowe. And they hadn't even been able to uh, move in or unpack all their boxes because of the pandemic. They've had no neighborhood contact or community contact. The contact, the very first contact that they've had outside of their living room was on this Zoom call with another baptismal family in Stowe, Massachusetts. And so we, we had a, it was almost like a seamless baptismal prep experience. We were able to successfully connect two young families that had never met each other before. Both have little baby girls that uh, they're excited to, to baptize, you know, when it's safe to do so. Um, they had common experiences that, that immediately connected them, they were able to share. And uh, and I had all my little baptismal show and tell and sacramentals that I just pulled right off my shelves here uh, to guide them through a very engaging and interactive baptism prep session. And it was amazing. And you know what? The, one of the best parts about it was one of the big challenges, challenges for uh, scheduling these baptism prep sessions is just that, the scheduling trying to coordinate with, you know, two, two parents that are, are working and then, you know, the daycare schedules and, and everything. So here now, we've been able to successfully experience uh, how in an instant, we're, we're on, you know, we're together and it doesn't have to be that, that um, logistically challenging in-person meeting. Could it ever truly replace being together with each other? No, but it was beautiful and it, and it was uh, it was fruitful. This time has really challenged us all to be creative in how we live out our faith, especially in the family family life and, and using these technologies. So that's been really cool to hear. How would you encourage others to be always on mission? What does that look like to you? And how might you encourage our listeners to consider how the Lord might be calling them in their own unique way, using their own gifts to evangelize? Uh, well, I think if, you know, if you're paying attention, uh, Joan and I both said when, when the calls came to get us involved in the church, we both felt like it was too much, you know, and I think uh, it's always going to feel that way. Um, and I think number one give yourself time to acknowledge that and then, and then think that there might be another plan in action for you. 
Uh, and then the other thing is is a little bit simpler. Um, you know, I, I talked about my many years of Jesuit education, and one of the mottos, the one of the mottos for the the Jesuits is uh, for the greater glory of God. And you know, it it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to lead the children's liturgy of the word. If you just uh, acknowledge and try to live every day that what you're doing is for the greater glory and for your family and for your community. Um, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Yeah, I, I just loved when Tom and I were talking about this, just, um, you know, being, being and leading by example, you know, we lead, we learn as parents, um, you know, sometimes we want to be invisible because we don't want them to see us in our weak moments. You know, like it or not, we, people are watching how we are living out our faith as Catholics. And um, when all is said and done, I, I think that um, just leading by example, being joyful, um, and truly from the heart, uh, connecting with people. And, you know, one of the things that really struck me was at first, I, I, I was so focused on, oh, how can I be productive? you know, during this, this time, um, away from the office and, um, you know, how can I really continue my, my service to the church? You know, I'm on the clock after all, but when it came down to it, I heard God saying, Joan, the best way that you can minister to the flock, so to speak, is, is through, through your heart, is through your compassion through your your joy your unwavering love of jesus just needs to keep shining through and we can't go wrong you know if we if we just continue to let that light um shine even in this time of darkness i'm just so grateful to tom um for you know being such a light and uh and for, for really uh igniting uh that flame inside of me when I was feeling afraid. And I'm just so grateful. Beautiful. Well, thank you both so much for sharing about your journeys, about your ministry, and about your giving your yes to this call to continue to share the love of Jesus with others. I hope the listeners really feel inspired to do the same and recognize that each one of you has a unique role in the mission of the church and how beautiful that is to give your yes to the Lord and begin to discern what that might look like. Tom Lyman, I would love for you to lead us in a closing prayer. Even in times of challenge, there's so much to give thanks and praise to God for. So could you maybe close us in a prayer of thanksgiving? Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord God, as Moses encountered you at the burning bush and was told by God that he was on holy ground, we too have walked on holy ground in hearing how you've encountered Joan and Tom in their ministry. We ask you for the grace to see uh, the ways in which you're calling each one of us. We thank you for the opportunities that you present us. And we ask for your help to avoid missing these opportunities. St. Rosa Venerini. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much. And thanks everyone for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe and tune in next week for Always on Mission, Evangelizing in Challenging Times. God bless. Mm -hmm.